a Sermon on the Mount last week, and we start at the end. And what we focused on last week was what Jesus is looking for is obedience. He says, the wise man's the guy who builds his house on the rock. And we said that was basically choosing to live your life in obedience to him. There are things Jesus says, and he expects us to do them. And if you do those things, then you've built your house on the rock. And if you don't, then you've built your house on sand. And eventually, your house is going to be washed away because the storms are going to come and you're, you're not going to have anything firm to stand on. And we talked about how in the Old Testament, the Israelites, anytime God did something, they set up a pile of rocks as a, to remind them of what God had done. It was like a memorial. And so, you know, God meets with them and they set up this pile of rocks. And so when they walk by with their kids or their grandkids or their great-grandkids and they say, what's that pile of rocks? The Israelites can say, well, that's when God did fill in the blank. And because we didn't want you guys walking around with a bag of rocks, we gave you each a journal. And we've got some more. If you weren't here last week, we'd be more than happy uh, for you to grab one. We gave you a journal because we want, I want you to create a testimony just like that pile of rocks. Over the next six or seven weeks, I want you to keep track of times when you make a choice to intentionally live on the rock, when you intentionally choose to obey Jesus. And what I told the guys at nine, I'll tell you, I'm not, this is not manipulative, but I would say this. At the end of seven weeks, if your journal is empty, the chances are you're not living on the rock. If you don't have any ex- examples or experiences over the next six or seven weeks of times when you've intentionally said, you know what, I'm going to obey the Lord, I'm going to choose to base my life on this rock, then you probably aren't. You're probably living on sand. And you need to know that now. You'd rather know that now than when a storm comes and this house that you had built and you thought was solid winds up getting washed away. Again, that's not a guilt thing. That's just reality. So there's some journals in the back. I'd encourage you to grab one. I said last week, I don't care if you share all your feelings or anything like that. I just want experiences. I want you to begin to create a testimony of what God has done in your life. So that's what we're trying to do. We're going to have a written pile of rocks. This is Matthew 4, starting in verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people were brought to him, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the regions across the Jordan followed him. When he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We're going to talk about the Beatitudes. Many of you have heard that stuff before, those blessed are things, even if you've Never read the Sermon on the Mount, never opened a Bible. This stuff is kind of woven into our um, culture a little bit. We said last week that the Sermon on the Mount, most people would say this is it in terms of kind of ethical literature. This is the, this is the pinnacle of 
how you treat other people. Again, whether you're a Christian or not, most people have heard of this stuff. People who read it say, yeah, that's how folks should live. I think the issue with the Beatitudes is what are we supposed to do with them? And I think one of the things, or the whole Sermon on the Mount actually, is what are we supposed to do with it? Some people say Jesus is giving a new law and we've got to obey all of this stuff. And that can be heavy because the stuff he says is heavy, like be perfect. That's a hard thing to say, well, I've got to go try and do that. And I think one of the issues is we pull the sermon out of the context. And I want to just demonstrate something real quick to you, Kim. Kim's going to go outside. (laughs) Again, it's warmer this time. So Kim's going to go outside. What uh, we read there, those first few verses in chapter 4, those last few verses, excuse me, where it says Jesus taught in their synagogues and preached the good news of the kingdom. We talk about that all the time, the good news of the kingdom, and that's a phrase that we throw around. Sometimes we don't really get what that means because we don't live in a kingdom. And so that word doesn't necessarily bring anything to mind. And it could be that what you hear when you hear kingdom or what you're thinking of is some geographic area. It's like this room. This is a would be a kingdom or Marietta or, or whatever you're thinking geographically And that's what Jesus was preaching, the good news of this kingdom, this geographic entity where of God. God had this piece of real estate now that was his. Now, when Jesus comes back, there will be a geographic entity that's the kingdom, and it will be the world. He gets all of it. But on this side of Jesus' return, that's not really what kingdom means. The, the, The kingdom of God is the rule or the reign of God. Everywhere that God's will is done, that's where his kingdom is. So like, I have three kids, and I could say my kingdom is everywhere my kids obey me. If that happens to be my house, that's great. If it's outside, that's great. If it's at, wherever they're doing my will, then my kingdom is being expressed in the lives of my kids. The same thing is true with God. What he's, when, he talks about, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he's not talking about a place like this. What he's talking about is his will being done by his people. So every time you choose to love your neighbor, well, that's the kingdom is being expressed. God is ruling in that situation because you're obeying him. Got that? Every time you choose to forgive someone else, God's kingdom is being expressed. God's rule is being expressed because you're choosing to obey him. And the Lord's Prayer, we're going to look at that in a few weeks. Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Those things are parallel. Where Jesus' will is done, where God's will is done, that's where his kingdom is. So kind of keep that in your head as we're talking. When Jesus came to preach the good news of the kingdom, what he was saying is God's rule or God's reign is near. It's close. And Jesus was actually bringing this rule or reign to earth, for lack of a better word. So there's, we're going to say that this is the kingdom of God. Where we are here, we're going to say this is the rule and reign of God. This is where God's will is done. We're all in. Kim's out. We're all in. The kingdom. Kim's not. She's out there. We're all born out there. We've talked about this before. Everyone's born on the outside. That's from since Adam and Eve fell, everybody's born on the outside of that door. And Kim can't get in. It doesn't matter. The door's locked. You, she's, she can't get in. It doesn't matter how many old ladies she helps cross the street. It doesn't matter how, if she pays her taxes on time. It doesn't matter. None of that stuff matters. It doesn't matter how good Kim is. It doesn't matter if she comes to church every week. It doesn't matter if she prays every day. None of that stuff, none of that gets you in. The door's locked and there's no other, that's it. She cannot come 
into the kingdom. And that's how we're all born. And you might say that's not a big deal, but the thing you need to realize is there are actually two kingdoms. There's the rule of God and there's the rule of Satan. And everyone is under one of those two rules or reigns. That's in Ephesians 2 too. You can go look that up uh, if you want to. Everyone either lives under the rule of God or they live under the rule of Satan or the enemy. Those are your only two choices. The rule of God, James 1 says that everything good and perfect comes from God. So you can choose to live under him. The Bible also says that Satan comes to steal and kill and destroy. Or you can choose to live under him. You can live under the reign of someone who loves you, or you can live under the reign of someone who wants to destroy you. Those are the only two choices that are available to us. Satan's not an idiot, so he's obviously not going to come right out and say, hey, I'm going to destroy you, but that's ultimately where things go if you believe the Bible's true. You only have two choices. We're all born out there in that kingdom. This is where I think people want to be. If you've got to serve somebody, why not serve somebody who loves you? Why not serve somebody who's all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-loving instead of someone who's out to destroy you? So that this is our situation. We're all born out there. We've got God's rule in here, and we can't get in. But we're not stuck. Matthew 27, when Jesus died... In Matthew 27, I think it's 51, we read that the temple of the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. That seems like kind of a weird thing to happen, kind of a funky detail, but the temple, the, the curtain in the temple separated the holy place from the most holy place. If you go back and read Exodus, if you want to do that, you can read how the temple was laid out. And there was a holy place, and then they put this big curtain up, and there was a most holy place, and the most holy place is where the Ark of the Covenant was. It was just basically a box and had the things, the tablets where the Ten Commandments were written and it had some other stuff in there. And so you had this ark, this box, and on top of it were these things called cherubim that were these angels and they had wings that did this and um, they were on either side and kind of in between those wings is where the priest was supposed to meet God. I know that sounds silly, but there was this place where the, the high priest was supposed to meet God. That's in the most holy place. Nobody could go in there except the high priest. And he could only go in on one day of the year. And he had to bring a sacrifice. And it was kind of a big deal. There's kind of a legend that says when he went in, they would tie a rope with bells around his ankle. In case he died, they could pull him out. Because nobody else could go in there. Not because God is mean, but because we've sinned. And we can't be in his presence. Our, our sin, we, we will die in his presence. Our sin and his holiness don't mix. And so we'll die. And so he said, it's called the shield curtain. Put up this shield curtain so people, as a barrier, to keep people out for their own protection. Not because I'm a jerk, not because I don't want to be in a relationship with people, but to keep them out. When Jesus died, that curtain was torn in two from the top to the bottom, which is interesting. And it opened a way for us to enter into this most holy place. You can read Hebrews 9, 1 through 14, if you want to see kind of that story. Will you go let her in? So, <laughs> so Kim's out there. She's us. We're out there. When Jesus died, he, go ahead, made a way for her to now come in. And by faith, Kim comes in. That's it. By faith, Kim comes in. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says we're saved by grace through faith. Jesus making a way when there wasn't a way, that's grace. We don't deserve to come in. We deserve to still be out there. The wages of sin is death. That's where we deserve to be. But in his grace and love for us, God made a way. And so that's the doorway being there. And then we come in 
It's, it's our faith, which is a weird word for us. A lot of times when we think faith, we think belief, which is good, but we believe a lot of things that we actually don't really believe. We think a lot of things. We don't believe a lot of things. There are a lot of things we think that we don't really believe. I believe the stock market's going to go up tomorrow. I don't believe that. I might think that. But I'm not necessarily, if I put my money in, well, then you know I actually believed it because I acted on it. That's what faith is in the Bible. It means you actually, you act on it. If you're not obeying Jesus, then you don't have faith in Him. Period. Don't tell me you trust Him if you're not willing to do what He says. That's not, I don't know what that is. If you're not doing what He says, if I'm not doing what He says, then I don't trust. I, something else, but I don't trust. And so that's how we come in. By trusting in Jesus, who's actually doing what He says. So I want you to keep that picture. Kim, out there, coming in. There's only one way in. Jesus made the way. That's, the, that's what Jesus was coming to announce. He was saying, the good news of the kingdom is there's a door, and you can come in. That's the context. And then Jesus pulls these guys aside, and He gives them this stuff, these Beatitudes. Some people think the Beatitudes, that stuff that we read, the blessed are, some people say those are entrance requirements into the kingdom. If you want to come in the door, then you've got to be poor in spirit, and you've got to mourn, you've got to be meek, you've got to hunger and thirst for righteousness, you've got to be merciful, pure in heart. That's what you've got to do to get in the door. That's not true. Doing those things doesn't get you in the door any more than going to church gets you in the door, any more than helping people cross the street gets you in the door, any more than paying for the guy's grocery behind you gets you in the door. It doesn't, you can't, you can't do anything from the outside to get in. The door doesn't work. It's locked on the outside. You've got to be let in from the inside. There's nothing that you or I can do from the outside, no matter how good it seems and how righteous or holy or whatever, it doesn't, it doesn't get you in. Remember last week we talked about the narrow way. The way is narrow not because God's a jerk, but because there's only one guy that knows how to get you there. The way's narrow because there's only one doorway to get in to the kingdom, to get in and live under this rule and reign of God. So no, the Beatitudes are not entrance requirements. You don't have to do this before you get in. Some people say, well, once you're in, well, then this is who you're supposed to be. These are character traits that God's looking for. I would say no to that as well. They're a unit. You can see that in your Bible. They're all kind of indented and all of those things. It's a unit, and what's true of one is true of all. So we might say, you know what, we need to be meek, and I'd say, yeah, maybe so, you need to be meek. But do you need to mourn also? It's, it's all or nothing. If you need to be meek, then you also need to mourn. Mourning is not good. It's not necessarily bad. It means something bad has happened, but that's not an ideal. God's not looking for people who mourn. At the end, Jesus says he's going to wipe every tear from our eyes. There won't be mourning in heaven when God's will is done perfectly. There's not going to be any mourning. Persecuted, how do we do that? How do we get persecuted? Go move someplace where they do that? We're sunk if that's what God's looking for. See how many people we can tick off so they'll begin to persecute us? It's all or nothing. So I'd say, no, these aren't characteristics that God is saying, I want you to be all of these things. What I think these Beatitudes are, it's, it's Jesus saying who the winners are. In God's kingdom, every society has winners and losers. And what Jesus is doing, he said, you know, there's this, this kingdom, there's this good news, and there's a way, and you can come in. And what he's saying is, here are who the winners are. And we all want to know who the winners are. 
because nobody wants to be a loser. In our society, the winners are young people, people who are young. We spend $12 billion a year on plastic surgery to look young. It's thin people. We spend $40 billion a year on diet and exercise. It's high achievers, and there's nothing wrong with any of these things. Athletes, intelligent folks, those are folks who are winners in our society, and there's nothing wrong with any of that. If you want to know who wins, look at what parents put their kids in. Whatever parents choose to involve their children in, that's probably what a society values because no parent wants to raise a loser. We want our kids to win. We want them to succeed. And so whatever we're putting our kids in, that mean, that's what we think it means to win. So they're winners and losers in every society. And what Jesus is doing, he's announced there's this, there's this new thing. It's the kingdom of God. And it's coming, it's near, and people are listening, and people are being healed, and they're listening, and they're experiencing what he's doing. And what he's saying from the beginning is, you need to know this is different. The people who win here, it's, it's a different group of people. You've all heard this Sermon on the Mount a billion times. Even if you haven't heard it, you, you know it because it's, it's out there, it floats around. This is a live broadcast. This has never been said before. And what he said was basically a punch in the stomach to folks. We're going to go through them real quick. Poor in spirit. Some people say, well, poor in spirit, that's good. We need to be that. To be poor in something means to lack. If you're in poor health, that means you lack good health. If you're poor, it means you lack money. This is not the one time that being poor in something is good. You don't want to be poor in spirit. That means you lack spiritual things. What During this time, the guys who, were, who, who got in... It was the religious leaders of the day, guys who memorized the entire Old Testament, if you can imagine that. Guys who were so concerned about keeping the law that they built, they had rules to keep from breaking rules. There was a, there were some guys, a, a gnat was the smallest unclean animal. And so some guys, because they were so concerned about eating something unclean, before they drank a cup of water, they would strain it through a piece of cloth to make sure there was no gnats in it. Those are the guys that get in. It's the religious leaders who get in because they deserve to get in. Look how they're living. Look how holy and righteous they are. Look at all of the things, all the right things that they're doing, all the godly things they're doing, and we think the same thing. Those are the people who get in. It's the guy who gets up at 5 in the morning to pray, and when his kids get up, he's doing family devotions with them by candlelight, and they're all around the table singing before they go to school. That's who gets in. It's the woman who comes to every Beth Moore and she's perfect in her makeup and her hair and her kids are all wearing homemade smock dresses and smiling along. That's who gets in. It's the people who have everything together because they deserve... Look at them. They deserve to get in. Of course the kingdom of God is theirs. Because look at their life. And what Jesus is saying is no. No. It's not that those guys don't. It's that the rest of you do. The guy who only shows up on Easter... The woman with the cussing problem, they get in. The door is, it's grace. The door is open to everybody. The guy who you think is the farthest away is just as close as the guy who you think is closest. The door's open for, it's grace. It has nothing to do with your performance. Everybody who wants to can come in. That's what he means by blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is the same thing as the kingdom of God. It's the same thing. The rule and reign of God is available to anyone who asks. You don't have to clean yourself up first. Just say, I want it. I want in. That's it. And you come in. It's not just the guys who have it together. 
Everybody. The guys who lack spiritual things. They get in also. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Um, Again, during Jesus' time, if people were mourning, obviously, same as here, something bad happened. But what they thought was if something bad happened, you deserved it. You can read John 9. Jesus and the disciples are walking down the street and they see a guy who was born blind. And the disciples say, Jesus, who sinned, this guy or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus says, neither one of them. But that was the thinking of the day. You could read Job if you want the long version of kind of that, that way of thinking, which says, if something bad is going on in your life, God is punishing you for something bad you've done. You've done something to deserve this, either you or your parents. Someone has done something wrong, sinned, and so this is God's way of dealing with that sin. There wasn't a strong view of the afterlife, so kind of what you were going to get, you were going to get before you died. And so if something bad happened, well, that's you deserved it. So the people who mourn are not blessed. The reason they're mourning is because something bad happened, and the reason something bad happened is because they deserved it. So no, they're not blessed. They're, they're cursed, actually, because God is punishing them. And Jesus says, no, no. Blessed are those who mourn. Not blessed are those who are fat and happy. Not blessed are those who live a carefree life. Not blessed are those who never are touched by tragedy. Blessed are those who mourn. I think we actually have some of this same stuff where we live. One of the most common objections to Christianity is why do bad things happen to good people? And of course, good people is us. Why do bad things happen to me is really the question. If God is all-powerful and all-knowing and all-good, then how come bad things happen? It's really the same type of question. We want to know, where there's this bad stuff. Did I do something to deserve it? Did they do something to deserve it? Did this region do something to deserve this bad thing? That happened. We call natural disasters acts of God. He's punishing people for something. They, they deserve it. I deserve it. I must have done something wrong or else this would not be going on. Maybe you felt that way. And so you feel left out, far away from the kingdom. What Jesus says is, no, in the kingdom, those who mourn are blessed. Why? Because they will be comforted. You're not blessed because you mourn. You're blessed because you'll be comforted. You're blessed because Jesus says he'll wipe away every tear. Jesus doesn't get into the whys of why bad things happen to, why bad things happen to good people. He just says, I'll be there when they do. That's the promise. Not that bad things won't happen and not that you'll understand why they happen, just that he'll be there when they do. That's why those who mourn are blessed. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I think this is kind of a universal sense, at least since the fall and with Adam and Eve. If I asked you right now to picture someone who's meek, gentle, humble, always moves to the back of the line, takes what is given them, most of you probably can get a picture of somebody and it's probably not you. And it's probably not necessarily anyone you're trying to be like. We value meekness in other people, not in ourselves, Because we know what happens when we're meek. We get walked on. The meek don't inherit the earth. The meek get trampled on while the strong inherit the earth. That's what we value. We value strength. People who stand up for their rights. People who make a stand. People who fight for what's theirs. People who go and get whatever is coming to them. That's what we value. We don't value the meek people who accept what comes, people who move to the back of the bus, that no, those guys don't inherit the earth. They lose it. And the strong inherit the earth. Meek equals weak where we live a lot of times. 
And what Jesus is saying is, no, the meek will inherit the earth, and it's not because they're meek, it's because of their relationship with Jesus. If you're in, and you're living under the rule and reign of God, that makes you a co-heir with Christ. That means you get everything he gets. You're a son and daughter of God, a brother and sister of Jesus. Everything he gets, you get. You're written into the will now. And that's why the meek will inherit the earth, because Jesus will. These guys, anyone who comes in is now related to Jesus. And everything he gets, you get. That's why they inherit the earth. Not because they're meek, but because they're related to him. And he's getting everything. Blessed are the merciful. No, skipped one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I think this is um, tied to the blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. These guys, this crowd, to me, this is a little tricky to kind of um, communicate. I think of these guys as um, kind of the crusader type folks. People who maybe have some type of a cause that they're giving themselves to. Or um, the pure in heart, I think of people who are, have an undivided heart, who live with integrity, who... Say, you know what, if, if Jesus says this is what I'm supposed to do, then I'm going to do that. I think people may be, um, these are the guys who write the letter to the editor, sign their name at the bottom. People who sometimes you see them with little poster board signs walking around, involved in certain movements. I think that's, that's these guys. People who kind of put their money where their mouth is. People who say, you know what, this is God's world. And there are things that he wants to do. And there are places where we're off track. And so I'm going to work to see us get back on track. These folks are hated in our society. Absolute. To me, these are the guys that get it the worst. I think the meat get trampled on, but we all, we like them. Mother Teresa, everybody likes her. She's meek. Everybody, nobody wants to be her, but everybody likes her and says we need people like that. I'm just not one of them. But she's not reviled. She's not hated. She's not despised because people see what she's doing. These guys are. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the pure in heart, we hate those guys. Our society does. The, one of the supreme values that we hold as a culture is, is tolerance. We want everybody to be okay all the time. I'm not going to offend you. You're not going to offend me. I'm not going to alienate you. You're not going to alienate me. I'm not going to tell you what's right and wrong. You're not going to tell me what's right and wrong. That's what we live under that. That's the value that we all say yes to as a society. These guys don't say yes to that. Because they have conviction, and at some point, their conviction might bump up against what someone else is doing, or where our society is going, and they're going to say something, because they hunger and thirst for righteousness. They want to see righteousness in their world, and they're willing to put their name at the bottom of the petition. They're willing to stand up and say, this isn't right. The pure in heart recognize there are things Jesus said, and therefore we have to do them. They don't say, well, you know what, this is Monday, or this is just business, or you don't know my mom. What they say is, this is how he said to live, therefore I'm going to do it. Those are the pure in heart. Those are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and we hate those folks in our society. And what Jesus is saying is they're blessed not because they're crusaders, not because they're super holy. They're blessed because they've lined themselves up with him. He is a just and right king, and ultimately, he's going to make everything right. Everything is going to conform to his will or be destroyed. Those are the only two choices. These guys who are pure in heart, who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, they're lined up with him. He's not on their side. They're on his side. And when he comes and makes everything right, they're going to get that. They're going to be filled because the earth will be filled with the glory of God, with the righteousness of God. 
Blessed are, where are we at? Peace, merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Same thing as the meek to me. We all like mercy, we just don't want to be merciful. We want it. Moms with babies, nurses in hospice, they need to be merciful. The rest of us, it doesn't work. You can't turn the other cheek, they're just going to keep on hitting you. It's not, you can't live this way. It's not the real world. I think the thing with this value, this group, what Jesus is pointing out, um, he, there's a principle in the kingdom. The measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. The measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So kind of the picture in my mind there is if you measure with a teaspoon of mercy, then you're going to get back a teaspoon of mercy. Now, Jesus in Luke 6 says, we'll be given back, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. So I give a teaspoon of mercy, and I get a teaspoon of mercy back, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. If I use a cup, then a cup comes back to me, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And if I use a bucket, then a bucket comes back to me, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. This isn't karma. It's just the way God set things up. He's the one that gives gifts. And what he said is what you use, it will come back. We're going to talk about this in a few weeks when we talk about judgment. That's the context that this little principle is given. And basically the principle there is if you judge, that's what's going to come back to you. If you extend mercy, then that's what's going to come back to you. That's why it's so important to forgive people. If you only forgive people this much, that's all God has to work with in terms of forgiving you back. If you forgive people this much, then that's what he has to work with in terms of giving back to you. Again, it's not, it's not karma. It's just a principle in the kingdom where God says, whatever you use, it's going to come back to you. And the reason the merciful receive mercy is because that's what they're giving. We like fair. Well, then that's what you're going to get back is fair. And you don't want that. And neither do I. Fair is I'm still outside. Mercy is I'm in here. So if, this is, if I want mercy, then I've got to give it. If I want forgiveness, then I've got to give it. It's the principle of the kingdom. The merciful will be shown mercy not because they're merciful necessarily, but because of this principle. What you give, it will be returned to you. And those of us that like fair, those of us that don't give second chances, those of us who say this is my way or the highway, that whole thing, well, that's what's going to come back to us. Well, am I going to get taken advantage of? Absolutely, you're going to get taken advantage of. Totally. Don't be surprised. Jesus got stabbed in the back by one of his best friends. Yes, you're going to get taken advantage of. But the people who pay you back aren't here. He'll pay you back. It's a hard way to live. But Jesus says those are the winners in his kingdom. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. This is tricky too. If there's one of these that kind of has currency where we live now, it's this. Lots of people are waving the white flag, the peace flag around. I would say, without making any political statements for or against anything, I'm neutral on all matters, I would say this. The peace that they're talking about is not this peace. Peace in the Bible is rooted in being reconciled to God and then overflowing and to be reconciled with other people. It's not just not shooting guns at each other. It's being reconciled to God and then being reconciled to one another. I will say that this is a bit of a tangent, but I think it might be appropriate for where we are a few weeks before an election. Again, I'm neutral. Totally neutral. I'm voting for everybody. So, I'll just say this. It's interesting or ironic, depending on your perspective, that one of the loudest voices in favor of war over the past few years has been the church. 
Again, not saying anything about that. I think that's ironic that that is the case. And I think this is the issue. The church, capital C in America, we love it when people come over and put their arm around us and say they're one of us, especially when they're powerful people. And every four years, a couple of powerful people who want to be more powerful come over and they put their arm around us and they say, I'm one of you guys. And they use our buzzwords and they use our jargon and they show up in places where we show up and they say, I'm with you guys. And we get those little stars in our eyes and think, oh, he is one of us. And we throw our weight behind him. And then the day after he gets elected, he takes his arm off and he puts it in his pocket. And he comes back around four years later. And they've been doing it for 30 years. And again, I'm not whatever. We don't need to confuse access with influence. We've access that it gets you a seat at the table. It doesn't mean anything's going to change. As a church, we need to support our government totally. That's in Romans 13. We've got to do that. But we also need to maintain enough integrity that if things get off track, we can say, hey, things are off track. We've confused, I think, some people have confused being a patriot with being a Christian. And your ultimate loyalty is Jesus. And you support the government, but if at some point supporting the government means that you deny or you rebel against God, then you quit supporting the government. It actually makes you a better citizen. Because if you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, it will make you the best U.S. citizen, period. Because the values of the kingdom, those are the values that we want. Again, I'm not saying anything about who we vote for. I'm not saying anything about whether we should be in a war. That's, those are huge topics that we don't have time to talk about. What I am saying is, blessed are the peacemakers... And the peace people are talking about, it's not the same thing. What we need to be promoting is reconciliation this way, reconciliation this way. That's the only true and lasting peace. And we don't need to get co-opted by anybody. We need to, yes, we need to be supportive of people who are in power, but we also need to recognize ultimately where our ultimate allegiance is, where our ultimate loyalty is. And if at some point the government or locally or nationally makes decisions that are off track, we need to have the integrity to say, hey, you guys are off track. That means we become anarchists. It just means we fulfill our function as the church. Are you with me? Anybody want to get up and leave? Okay. <laughs> Blessed are those who, pers- who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you're persecuted, it's because you're not in favor with people in power. Those are the only folks who get persecuted. People who are not in favor of the people in power. If the folks in power like you, then you're not persecuted. It doesn't matter if you're a big group or a small group. The size of your group really is irrelevant. If the people in power like you, then you're not persecuted. If they don't like you, then you are. We don't live here. So this is, we don't live here. There are 400 million Christians who do live here. We're going to talk about that in a little while. For us, I think what Jesus is saying is that when we see people, when He's talking to these guys. When you see people who are persecuted, you automatically assume they're not in favor with those in power. Therefore, they're cursed. It's not that they're blessed. They're way on the outside. They don't have a seat at the table. They're out there. They're the outcasts. And what Jesus is saying is no. They are blessed. They're winners because theirs is the kingdom of God. Again, but it has to do with your relationship with Jesus. Being persecuted for its own sake doesn't get you anything except pain. It has to do with your relationship with the Lord. If you're in, if you've come in the door, 
and you're persecuted because you've come in the door, even though everything around you says you're cursed. Your home got taken away. You lost your job. This is reality for 200 million Christians. 400 are discriminated. 400 million are discriminated against. 200 million are persecuted. Lose their home, lose their job, thrown in jail, kidnapped, the whole, just go through. 168,000 about killed every year, raped, the whole, all of the things that you're thinking. You got, you're not blessed. You're, look at you. There's nothing blessed about that existence. And what Jesus says is actually no. Anybody who stands with, he says, if you're ashamed of me here, I'll be ashamed of you there. If you're ashamed of me now, I'm going to be ashamed of you then. The persecuted are blessed because they're choosing to stand with Jesus. And they recognize whatever they give up now, the Bible says you get back a hundred times here and in the next life. That doesn't mean you give a dollar, you won't get back a hundred dollars. But the idea is what you give, God will give back to you. Especially this kind of stuff. So the persecuted are blessed, again, not because they're persecuted, but if they're persecuted because of their relationship with the Lord. God honors that. They will, theirs is the kingdom. Again, not just because they're persecuted, because, they're che- because of their relationship with Jesus, because they're saying that's more important than this. I'm willing to give up this for this relationship. And they will receive the kingdom because Jesus will not be ashamed of them when the time comes. He's not ashamed of us. We don't live there. We can't, we can't even put our mind around this stuff. It's difficult for us to even fathom. But he's saying these guys who you think are on the outside, who are far away because of the circumstances, they're not. They're close. If the reason they're persecuted is because of their relationship with him. Those are the Beatitudes, my version of them. You can take that or leave that, kind of my understanding. This is what I would say for us. What's important is not necessarily these specific Beatitudes, although I think there could be times over the next six weeks where you have a choice to make a, you, you can choose. Am I going to be a winner in God's kingdom or am I going to be a winner in this kingdom? Because there are times where those things butt up against each other. And when you make a choice to be a winner in God's kingdom, I'd encourage you to write that down and write down how it works out. That's building a testimony. You really can live this way. We really can live this way. And it's scary to think about... Like being merciful, seriously, that's a hard one to think about doing. I'm thinking the same thing you are. They're going to take all my money. How does that work in real life? But, again, I would say, as you have opportunity, make a choice to be a winner in God's kingdom versus a winner in the world's, and let's see what happens. But the, maybe the bigger question for us is whose value system are you living under? Are you willing to be a loser for the next 50 years or 60 years or 70 years in order to be a winner forever. You might not have to make that choice, but there will be times where you do, where you've got to choose, well, whose whose value system am I going with? There are places where your value system lines up with the Lord's. Totally. I believe everybody in this room, there are places where your value system lines up with the value system of the Lord. You came in, and that didn't necessarily even need to change because you were already tracking. There are other places, it doesn't for me and for everybody in here, where our value system doesn't line up. Part of living under the rule and reign in the kingdom of God means there's a king. And the king makes the rules. And he says, these are the things that I value. These are the winners in my world. And we have to make a choice if we're, if we're going to believe him and go with that, or if we're going to choose to do our own thing. Y'all can stand up. Worship team, you guys can come. If you're helping with communion,